schoolish of greetings and salutations my friends thank you so very much for stopping by and making paranormal prowlers podcast part of your day those amazing tunes that just blessed your ears are courtesy of the amazing bobby Mackey, and of course i am your host tessa morrow today we find ourselves in my hometown pueblo colorado where we venture over to the city's oldest burial ground Pioneer Cemetery. It was established back in 1870. Malone Thatcher, who has a street named after him actually, Thatcher Avenue, purchases 80 acres of land from the government on behalf of the Masonic Lodge number L7. There are several sections within the cemetery dedicated to certain groups such as the Jewish Cemetery. And I believe this one is actually locked up. I have gone over to check it out in the past and you could see the headstones, but you cannot step foot into that specific area. It's completely fenced off and locked up. At least you couldn't when I was there last, but it's been a couple of years at least since I've been there, so maybe things have changed, but I sincerely doubt it. Other sections include Odd Fellows, Military, and of course the Poppers. Many people rest here eternally who remain unknown to this very day. Now, unfortunately, the notorious flood that wreaked havoc in Pueblo in 1921 destroys city cemetery records for this particular cemetery, washing away the identities of many people that reside here to this day. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the 1921 flood that changed so many lives forever. It is known as the worst flood in Pueblo and one of the worst floods in Colorado history, causing $25 million in damages. Well, today, that is $419,134,078. The approximate death toll is unknown. At least 150 people die during the three-day flood that takes place, but it can be as high as 250 or even more, as several people were never found. The flood introduces itself June 3rd and stuck around until the 5th of 1921. Now, while this particular flood was the worst Pueblo has ever encountered, other floods had occurred here in the past, such as the floods of 1864, 1881, 1893, and guess what, you guys, the following year in 1894. Those were not so good either, and did quite some damage as well, but nothing compared to the Great Flood of 1921, reshaping Pueblo forever. It starts with a heavy torrential rain that takes place June 2nd, 1921. Now at this point, the river running through Pueblo is up to 13 feet, by the following day, the water is 18 feet and well over the levees. And by midnight on the 4th, it was past 24 and a half feet. According to Colorado Encyclopedia, it took only two hours for a downtown's prominent business section to be completely underwater. Can we say Atlantis? 
The flooding affected 300 miles within Colorado, obviously, and also into Kansas. Here's some flood stats for you, my friends. It destroys over 500 homes, either completely gutting the home or carrying it away in the flood. With it, it took down 98 businesses, 61 stores, 46 locomotives, along with 1,274 rail cars. And it's no shocker here that the telephone wires, well, they're completely kaput, destroyed during the flood, leaving Pueblo completely cut off from the rest of the state of Colorado, and anywhere else for that matter. So there was no way for any of the survivors to reach out to family, let them know what they're doing, that they're okay. And I can only imagine what was going through the family's minds as well, as they try to desperately reach out to their loved ones that were stuck in Pueblo. It was a horrible situation, and it wasn't getting any better. Even after the flood was gone, the water still stayed at high levels for quite some time. Colorado Encyclopedia says this about the flood and the aftermath. Quote, decomposing bodies of livestock littered the valley. The flood's total damage of around 25 million is the equivalent of about 350 million in 2019. To this date, there is no universally accepted death toll for the 1921 flood. Many Puebloans did not have family looking for them because they were single immigrants who came to work for the Colorado Fuel and Iron Company. In addition, bodies were still showing up downstream from Pueblo months after the flood. Others were never found or went unrecognized when they did come in. The list of missing people was nearly twice as long as the list of the deceased, ranging from 50 in the days after the flood to nearly 300 in the following weeks. In addition, some of those who were reported missing but escaped the deluge were never acknowledged as being found. These complications made it difficult to determine how many lives were actually lost, unquote. With the flood of 1921 came fear, death destruction, families grieving for those lost, uncertainty of the future for the survivors, and complete and utter heartbreak. Leaving the topic of the flood of 1921, we are now back in Pioneer Cemetery. Notable burials include Thatcher and his own family. While they were buried here originally at Pioneer, for some reason, they are exhumed and reburied at Roselawn Cemetery once that is established back in 1891. Roselawn is headed kind of towards Pueblo County. My grandmother and a dear family friend rest there eternally. Carlos Otero was one hell of a tuba player, and he was also a chief at the Pueblo Volunteer Fire Department. You could come and visit him here in Pioneer today. And then we have John J. Thomas, better known as J.J. Thomas. He was a Pony Express rider driving a team of mules during his time in the Army, also serving in the first Colorado Volunteers during the Civil War. Quite impressive. He arrives in Pueblo, Colorado in 1865. He was also a charter member of the Pueblo Masonic Lodge Number 17. We have George Yankee Gordon, who was a train engineer who dies while in the line of duty. And George Chilcott, one of the founders of the Colorado State Hospital, which I've been to, not as a patient, just checking it out. 
and he was the U.S. Senator for Colorado, and he was a sheriff in Jefferson County back in 1853. What a busy fella. He is buried here in Pioneer, which is often referred to as the Masonic Cemetery. Then we have Pat Desmond. He was a deputy sheriff for South Pueblo. He unfortunately was a raging alcoholic, and he had quite the reputation as being a rather vicious gunman. He never would back down from a fight, ever. His temper did not help with this, obviously, and according to Wiki, he was listed as one of the 12 most underestimated gunmen of the West in a book titled Deadly Dozen. Desmond was born in 1864 in Ireland. It is at age 22 where he immigrates to America where he finds work in the mining field. Then, in 1869, he finds himself in Kit Carson, Colorado, where he becomes the town constable. He hires Tom Smith, who I've mentioned in the past, who's better known as Bear River, as his deputy. Smith would meet, if you remember, an extremely bloody end when he was pursuing two murder suspects. Once discovered, a gunfight begins, and it ends with Smith getting hit in the chest, and one of the killers that he is after, a coward named Moses Miles, hits him with the butt of the rifle and takes an axe to the man, decapitating him. A horrible and vicious way to go. The man to replace Smith as Marshall is none other than Wild Bill Hickok in Abilene, Kansas. Anyways, back to Desmond. At one time, he owns a restaurant in Golden, Colorado, home to Coors Beer. He then worked as a deputy at the sheriff's department in my hometown of Colorado, which of course is where, hello, Pioneer Cemetery is at. He then goes to Utah where he ends up owning a bar. One day, he reaches for his pocket. Someone, knowing his reputation to never back down from a fight, mistakes this gesture as him going for a weapon and shoots him dead. He is then brought back to Colorado, buried in Pioneer, where he is reunited forever with his children. There are many people who have come to visit or investigate Pioneer Cemetery who have seen a black-type mist. They have experienced cold spots, which on a hot Pueblo day, well, let's just say it's extremely noticeable. They also have smelled phantom scents, experiencing EMF spikes with their equipment, seeing balls of light floating about, having their electronics die quickly, draining batteries at a rapid pace. And also, people have been fortunate enough to gather photographic evidence and much, much more. I first started investigating Pueblo's oldest burial ground back in January of 2015. The first thing that I noticed, besides the beauty of the burial ground, obviously, was that the cemetery drains the living hell out of batteries, at least in my case, and I've heard from other people as well. Now, the day of the visit, I had made sure that everything had fresh batteries. Shortly into a session at the beginning of the investigation, my SB7 spirit box it suddenly dies. I unfortunately did not have my stash of extras with me for some reason that day, so I go to a nearby store where I replenish my battery stock. After Pioneer, I must say my SB7 dies a hell of a lot faster. It's never the same after the cemetery visit. It's just really weird. And I don't use it very much these days anyways. Kind of retired that tool, if you will. So doing this episode 
had me kind of go back into time, if you will, looking into my notes and into my book where I have a chapter dedicated to Pioneer Cemetery. And I wanted to share with you some of the results that me, my sister, and a former friend of mine, who I will refer to as Karen, had gathered. January 14th, 2015. We hear a woman's voice coming through the spirit box. Her voice is distorted and choppy. I ask what her name is, and my recorder captures a woman's voice faintly saying, Marie. And I just want to remind people who don't do the whole paranormal investigating thing that with the SB7 spirit box, or any spirit box for that matter, you ask a question, you get an answer immediately, you hear that answer for the most part, immediately. With the digital recorder, we do not hear it right away and only hear it after the fact. But it's happened a lot where I will ask a question in a spirit box session and my recorder, not the spirit box, gets a response. It's always just kind of different. So anyways, back to Marie. We ask her, how did you die? And her voice is not what greets us, but a child's voice. It responds saying, not telling you. And then this is followed by extremely excited breathing sounds. We ask, how long have you been here? And the same child says, a long time. Just super, super sad, obviously. And at some point during the investigation, old circus music comes pouring through the spirit box, which is pretty damn cool, if you ask me. A woman is recorded breathing, followed by, ah. And as it happens, sometimes I actually hear this, you know, with my own ears when nobody else does. And this is what happens in this case. And I let the others know that I heard a woman. And I asked the woman what her name is. And a voice comes through the spirit box saying, Beth. And it's interesting because several minutes later, in a completely different area of the cemetery, a woman with the same voice comes through yet again saying, Beth. In one area of the cemetery, we receive two EVPs from the recorder. One saying, Fuck. Followed by a few seconds later of the same voice, a grumpy man saying, Leave me alone. Now, mind you, this was on the recorder. We did not hear this right away, but there have been other times where we are fortunate enough to hear that, you know, a spirit does not want us around. They tell us to leave, sometimes friendly, sometimes not like this guy, and we do respect their wishes and we do leave that area. There was one eerie moment during the investigation where somebody in the group asks the question, when did you die? And the recorder captures a whisper saying, the house. And this is then followed by a disembodied voice of a man saying, March 6th. And seconds later, the same disembodied voice says, kill. Is this man trying to tell us that he was killed in the house on March 6th? Now, he did not specify a year, obviously, but it's really interesting that we got an actual date. That's interesting to me. And at some point, we go to visit a burial location of a woman named Ethel Marie Reyes. Ethel died back in 1898, and I let her know that she has a really pretty name. And a disembodied voice comes through the spirit box saying, Ray. This is then followed by a man saying, Ray. And then a few seconds later, the same man says, Reyes. And remember, that is her last name. So I thought that was really neat. 
I do ask if Ethel is there with us, and we receive an EVP of a woman whispering, Diane. This is then followed by extremely raspy, loud breathing. Karen then asks, can you tell us whose grave we are standing over? We then get a deep, exasperated breath, followed by a weak whisper saying, mine. A man's voice then comes through saying what sounds like Mary. Now, this particular grave that Karen was talking about was sunken low, very small. I mean, literally, if you weren't looking at the ground, you could trip over it just a few inches, you know, no joke. And it is unmarked. Now, remember, the public cemetery records were destroyed with the flood in 1921. So many are forever unknown, sadly. Close to the unmarked grave is a large monument for a family plot, and I notice it belongs to a father and a son, Thomas and Thomas Jr. And I see that this sweet little boy dies at only one year old. Little Jr. dies shortly after his own father, and we ask if they can tell us a name, and immediately afterwards we get this really cute and sad, because it's a baby, baby gurgling sounds come from the spirit box, like, like really cute, you know, but again, super sad. We all automatically think that this may be Thomas Jr. So my sister says, oh, that was your name too, wasn't it, sweetie? And we get this crystal clear EVP of a man saying, no, it's not, sounding more like, no, it's not. And this was so incredibly close as if you were whispering in our ear or the recorder's ear. It was incredibly awesome. We talked to Senior saying that his son died a few months after him. How did he feel about that? And a man is recorded saying it's hard. Now, other incredible EVPs that we received that day include a woman telling us that, quote, I missed my kids. Now, this could be a number of different things. Maybe her children died before her and for the rest of her life, she missed her children. Any grieving parent would, right? Or maybe there was a separation with her and her spouse and her husband ended up taking the kids away from her. Just, you know, don't know. But either way, I missed my kids. Really neat EVP. And again, sad. A somewhat funny EVP that we got was when we mentioned how people have seen Black Mist before. And, you know, if you want to manifest yourselves for us, feel free. And we receive the CVP of a man saying, fuck you. Another one is when we come upon a small headstone with only the letter G carved into it. And I ask, what does that stand for? George, Greg? And we get a man whispering into the recorder saying, ghost. Gotta love that response. Absolutely. Very clever, my phantom friend. Very clever indeed. And one of my favorite things that happened during this investigation was when we were at a family plot, which had all of these really cool copper looking crosses. And in front of one of them is a golf ball and somebody had left it behind, obviously. Well, I kneel down and I say, can you please tell me what I am next to? And I receive an EVP of a man whispering very slowly the words golf ball. And it is so easy to miss that if I had my recorder setting on regular setting, I would not have heard it. I could have easily missed it. I had it on the slowest setting, so I was able to hear that. 
In fact, I was curious, so I put it on the regular setting and I couldn't hear it. And it was so neat. It was just like, you know, somebody coming up to you, whispering in your ear, and he was like, really, really cool stuff for sure. Then later on during the investigation, Karen asks if the spirits are afraid of us, and we get a Class A EVP, crystal clear, of a man saying, slut. Obviously not hearing this, she has no reaction to the insult, and she asks, how many of you are here with us? And while this is not an EVP, it does come through the spirit box of a voice saying three. And I'd like to share some more spirit box reactions as well. During a session, we were in an area by several graves and we ask, what's your name? We get several responses pouring through the box, such as Mary, Jeff, Red, and at some point, a bird does come over and it starts kind of like squawking at us. And I kiddingly shush the bird. Immediately after that, a man's voice comes through the spirit box saying, quiet. The others, they begin to laugh wildly at me saying, haha, you know, the spirit told you to shut up. And I told them that I think he was agreeing with me telling the bird to put a cork in it. Who knows? Now, later on, there's another point where we introduce ourselves to the spirits and ask if anyone wants to tell us their name as well. And here are some of the responses that we get through the spirit box. And again, this is in a completely different area of the cemetery. Lars, Jason, Ed, Dennis. And then we did get an EVP of the name Jason as well later on. And this is followed by a raspy, wheezing type sound. My sister Casey, she asks, do you like music? And immediately afterwards, really old music comes through as if on cue. I would say 30s, perhaps 40s. I don't know, but it sounded really neat. And later a man comes through and says my name, Tessa. And Karen says, oh, well, can you say my name, Karen? And while the spirit box has a response that is unintelligible, my recorder catches a man whispering back, fuck you. Maybe the spirit saw something in Karen that I did not. Throughout the investigation, we also got several EMF spikes. And fast forward to early May, Karen and I, we make our way back to the cemetery. Last time we went in, it was January. It was still really cold out in May, still on the chilly side, but not too bad. Much more tolerable, that's for sure. And the difference between the January investigation and the May investigation, well, it's night and day. We did not get many bites this time around. EVP sessions, they went unanswered. Spirit box sessions were met with silence as well. And at one point I did ask, how did you die? And we did get a couple of spirit box responses, noose and war. Both, well, they're heartbreaking ways to go. When it comes to my investigations, whether it be at an asylum, a jail, a brothel, a cemetery, I love sharing my results. But believe you me, there are oftentimes questions they go unanswered. Sometimes a whole lot of non-action goes on. But why share the boring stuff with you? And you know, I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. Ghosts, they don't scare me, for the most part. For the most part. It's people that can scare the living crap out of me. 
One night a few years back, my cousin and his then fiance, now wife, who I will call Jennifer, wanted to check out Pioneer. They had never been before. They'd heard about it. I had told them about it. I don't remember exactly why they wanted to go at night. Maybe because their work schedules only allowed that or something. But they're, you know, either way, we go at night. Now, there's many locations that I have investigated at night. They are places that were planned, well-planned, and I had the permission needed by whoever to go to that specific spot. I love night investigations and visits, but for some reason, I was just like really on edge. Like, I felt like I did not belong there. You know, when every fiber of your soul, of your being, is telling you something is off, sending wild signals your way, but I completely ignored them stupidly. And it's because of this ridiculous encounter that I have not come back to Pioneer, which is an absolute shame because it is such this, it is such an amazing, beautiful, historical burial ground. And I had talked to others who had gone at night and the gate always seems to be open. So maybe they don't have that dawn till dusk hours like many other cemeteries do. So Jennifer, she's on the uneasy side. She's nervous and she's quite jumpy. My nerves were already bugging me, but her uneasiness did not help me. And I think, I think hers was because of spirits, but mine was because of like, who are we going to run into out here human wise? Just really off-putting. She kept jumping at sounds and whipping around. And I think I finally told her to take a chill pill. And at one point she turns around and does this shriek and in a really panicky voice says, someone's behind us and they're following us. Never so alert. I turn around hoping that it's just in her mind, even though it's not. And I look to see not one, not two, but three men, all with hoodies on, hoods up over their faces. They surround us. We are, you know, caught completely off guard. Now, mind you, I had the ovulus, which is a very expensive tool for me anyways, in my hoodie pocket, along with the recorder, which isn't really expensive, but still I had like tons of recordings on there from so many, you know, investigations that were very important to me. And I'm thinking, are they going to rob us? Like, who are these people? We're literally alone one second. And the next we have these three intrusive and aggressive men right in our faces. Their tones, they're harsh. Their manners, well, they're non-existent. They are trying to sound authoritative, but you know what? They're just coming off as arrogant pricks. They demand to know what we're doing there. Could ask if we're desecrating the graves. And I'm offended, but I stay pretty cool and calm and just say, no, man, we have nothing but respect for the deceased. We just tell them we're going for a night walk which we were, which it's none of their business, obviously, but we tell them. We go along our own business. We go our own separate ways, or at least it seems that way at first. We are kind of close to the military section, so we're kind of far away from our cars. This is kind of a larger cemetery, but we start making our way back after that encounter. And soon my cousin's gal, Jennifer, says in that once again panic voice, Oh my God, they're back! My heart just kind of sinks. I look back and to my horror, yes, there they are stalking us, following us. She begins to run and I just kind of grab hold of her hand and let her know, just let's walk. Let's go quickly though. 
If we run, we're guilty. And guilty, we are not. Now I think back, thinking maybe we should have run. <laughs> what if they were dangerous? Didn't know their intentions? We, we eventually do get back to our cars, though. Me to mine, them to theirs. The men get in their car, and they just kind of go whipping around the block searching for us. And it was creepy. I'm not going to lie, man. I mean, the men did not say they were law enforcement, security, anything like that. If the cemetery had fallen victim to vandalism, I would understand completely why they would have a presence of security or law enforcement driving by. But these guys were none of those. I would have welcomed a police presence right then and right there. You better believe it. Again, ghosts, I'm cool with. Everything is copacetic, but humans can scare the daylights out of me, not knowing if they would attempt to rob us or what their intentions were. I was beyond ready to leave, and I've never been back. Maybe someday, not some night. If you do go, I prefer going in the daylight. Stay away from the hooded trio creepers. Beautiful cemetery. I really do recommend it, but again, go in the daytime. Or at least with a large group if you're going at night, for sure. This week's special city shoutouts go to Gunnison, Colorado. Verona, Wisconsin, Big Rapids, Michigan, Salford, England, and Cedar Park, Texas. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Well, listen to the others. They're all phenomenal. Haven't heard every single one yet? Well, there is no need to fret. Just head on over to any of those amazing podcast platforms, such as Apple Core Media Library, Luminary, Downcast, Castomatic, Google Podcasts. Basically, wherever you may roam to hear your other spooky podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcast lurking in the background. Have a tale of your own to share? You guys, remember Halloween is just right around the corner. So feel free to record something, even if it's just a minute long. That's fine. And send it my way. It would be great to have you a part of the spooky Halloween 2023 crew. It's not too late. Thanks, everyone, and we will see you next week.